0: All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, a, little bit about, a little bit more about myself and about our church plant before we hop into the passage today. We're just going to be preaching through Exodus uh, 15 today. We're going to be continuing on in our sermon series. But first, a little bit about me and Julie. Like Steve said, uh, Julie and I have been incubating here at Hope for a few years now. We both, uh, we both did the, L, uh, the Leadership Development Program together, LDI. We, we came down in Trek 1 is when we met, and then we finished up... Uh, throughout the next two years and then after that we moved into a residency program and Julie came on full-time at staff on staff here so many of you uh, know Julie probably way better than you know me she leads um, Ed hours here she leads women at hope Uh, she leads LDI off-road which is another extension of our leadership development program and uh, she does uh, she's on staff with with the uh, LDI interns as well we've been married for three years uh, in July Um, Got married here at Oak. Pastor Drew married us uh, a couple years ago. And we currently live in Falcon Heights right now and have for, uh, what will be, two years in August. And we love the area very much. We're very excited about it. And so uh, we thought, hey, why don't we bring a church to this area that we love, to the people in this area that we love, uh, to a place that is, like, like most of the Twin Cities, really about half the people in the Twin Cities are churched right now. And so we just said, we want to get another church Uh, in the area so we can continue to saturate the Twin Cities with the gospel message and give ourselves uh, more fighting chances to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So what we'll be doing in January when we'll be uh, finally moving out, we'll be adults and we'll be kicked out in January, um, is planting uh, Resurrection City Church. And Resurrection City Church exists or will exist to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King. Um, we have a church that wants to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, glorifying God, our Jesus, our Savior and King, and seeing that area and the people within it made new in the gospel. Um, Falcon Heights is a really cool area. There's a lot of stuff going on there. If you haven't heard of the state fair that happens to be in Falcon Heights. So every year we have people moving in from there. Sorry, coming in for the state fair. Um, There is a soccer stadium that's going up in Midway for the uh, uh, UFC, uh, or the Minnesota United FC. There's so many words in soccer team names. I don't get it, (laughs) but... and there's just a lot of people that are moving into the area, and so we want to have a church there that's, that's ready to meet them, that is, is going to disciple them to be fully formed followers of Jesus Christ, just like we do it here at Hope. And, and we're very, very excited, very, very honored at the, at the privilege of getting uh, to minister the gospel, and we're just so thankful to you here at Hope for the ways in which you've blessed us and encouraged us uh, for the last five years, for me, last eight years for Julie. Uh, so thank you all very much. If being a part of this church plan, because you have the option to uh, be a part of our launch team, if, if anything that I've said excites you, um, we would love to get together and talk with you more. We're going to be having a... Um info meeting on June 10th. So in a couple weeks at 11 a.m. right over here in the fireside room of Hope East. So if you're interested in learning more about the church, if you are like, sign me up right now, I want to come. Um, If you just want to get a little more information, um, you can come to that meeting. You can meet us. We'll tell you a lot more about what we're thinking, what we're planning, ways that you can serve and be a part of it and help us and partner with us in our goal of reaching Uh, that area of the Twin Cities. That'll be going on June 10th, 11 a.m. We'll be posting all this information on uh, the city, and then we'll be having a few gatherings throughout the summer at our house as well. So we would love to get to meet you. If you come to the meeting, you're not signing up to come with us uh, and the church. It would just be be to learn a little bit more about it and to find out a little bit more about myself, about about Julie, about the church, about the area, or, or anything like that. So Please come check that out if you're interested. Be looking at the city for more info on that. Um, We are, however, preaching through the book of Exodus. So I'm gonna get going to that. And um, like, uh, like Tim said, previously in the book of Exodus, God has finally done the Exodus. The thing that this book is about has finally happened. God has taken them through the Red Sea. He has finally once and for all defeated Pharaoh and his army, and now, as they're delivered out of it, they're finally free. They're finally free, and God is about to uh, have them sing a song. Moses is going to have them sing a song of reflection on that. Uh, like, like Tim said, as we did ref- reflection inception this morning, um, and singing that one song, uh, they're reflecting on the events of the Exodus. So let's get right into it. Um, the passage starts out this way. Exodus 15.1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord: "I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver He has hurled into the sea." That's how this um, this passage starts, and Israel is called to remember what has happened to them. Okay, so the title of our sermon today is Exodus 15:1 to 21. Called to remember, and as I see it, my task today is to help you to, call, to be called to remembrance for what God has done in Christ and for that remembrance to then invigorate you as you go forth from that, just like Israel is supposed to do as they sing this song. About this, about this song, Peter N. says that Exodus 15, 1 to 21, is a song of victory to Yahweh and about Yahweh. It is a response to what he has done. Built into scripture is the notion that the song should be repeated we have, in other words, a reminder of the liturgical and ritualistic function of the song. It is a repeated celebration of God's deliverance, of which God's people must be reminded constantly. So let me just break down that quote for you a little bit. Peter ends is saying that this song is given to them to be a reminder in a, a liturgical sense. So, uh, if maybe some of you have heard that word liturgy before. Maybe you've grown up in a church that does a lot of liturgy. Um, it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different churches. But the way that he means it here is as a uh, habit that shapes us towards a truth about God. Okay? It's a practice or a habit that's been given to us by the church, by God himself, in some cases, to call us back to remembrance of what has happened, of what God has done. That's the the ritualistic side of the song. So this song is given to Israel, so not not just so that they'll sing it the one time after the Exodus has happened, but so that they'll continue to sing it over and over again to call them back to what God has done, okay? Now, uh, maybe you think that's a little weird. Maybe you think that that is like something that seems a little bit strange. You don't always see that done. But actually, that's a really normal thing for us to do. this is a couple of covers of the last time a Minnesota sports team won a championship. Uh, and they, they commemorate these. I don't, I don't know if you've seen these. They commemorate these, and Sports Illustrated will always come out with a special collector's edition cover uh, for a champion. And, so, and, the, and a lot of people will buy these. They'll frame them. They'll stick them in their basement or wherever they watch these games at. And every time they go downstairs, they're reminded of the great winning tradition that their team has. Um, And so (laughs) the problem here is that if you're a Minnesota sports fan, there's a lot of empty space on your walls. but imagine, imagine you are from a town that is used to winning. Like, when you go downstairs and you have, you're surrounded by all these commemorations to the championships your team has won, it gives you a sense of identity. It, it reminds you of the ways in which uh, who you are, right? When you're in the midst of watching your team and they're down by 10 in the fourth quarter and you look around and you see all these Sports Illustrated covers or other ways that you commemorate the winning tradition of your team, you're inspired to think, you know what, we're the type of team that comes back and wins these. I, I imagine, like, if you lived in, like Pittsburgh, where they've won a bunch of Super Bowls, or New England, um, you might be really familiar with that. There's, there's like another town somewhere near here, maybe a little west of here that may, I can't remember of it, though, so I'm just going to move on. Um, it's not that important or anything like that. So anyway, and, and, and think about it like this. If you're a Minnesota, Minnesota sports fan, that remembrance changes you, too. How many of you were watching uh, the playoff game here against the Saints when we had the Minnesota Miracle where Stephon Diggs got that touchdown and you're remembering back to all the times that the Vikings have totally squandered away a victory, right? And the remembrance you have makes you super pessimistic and it makes you like change a channel or go somewhere else. It, it, It has an impact on what you're doing in that moment as you remember what has happened before. It changes you in the moment and this song. That is given by Moses to the people is supposed to do that for them as well in certain circumstances as they move forward in their history. That remembrance invigorates them or changes them in some way. It excites them. Okay? So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to highlight uh, three different remembrances that we see in the passage, break them down, and then we're going to move forward into the New Testament and how that impacts us today. So remembrance number one, God is a warrior on his people's behalf. Let's read Exodus 15, two to three. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And some of you are just like, whoa, 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 whoa. The Lord is a warrior? That makes me a little bit uncomfortable to see that in the Bible, right? You might, you might think that is, this that seems like, the type of thing we wouldn't want to say about a God, right? That, that, that doesn't sound like a good thing, that he's a warrior. It might, maybe it seems kind of barbaric or old to you, and you might say, we should be talking about God. I would hope that they would be talking about God as loving or gentle or, or something like that. But we have it right here in the passage that the Lord is a warrior. Um, and you might think, this is not the kind of God we need to be talking about today. Is this really what we need we, we need God to be today. And I actually think we, we do, but I, I understand where you're coming from if you're shifting uncomfortably in your seat right now. Um, let, let me break it down this way. Um, this is a, a picture of a few characters. Oops. Come on here. There we go. A few characters from the excellent movie Black Panther that came out in February. How many of you have seen this movie? Raise your hand. Okay, so a lot of you have. Okay, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm gonna try my best not to spoil it, but you can ask my wife. I tend to spoil things all the time. So I'm gonna give away a small part of the movie right here. So the guy on the left is a character named Killmonger. You know he's a bad guy when you hear his name, okay? His name is Killmonger. The guy on the right is the main character T'Challa, or the Black Panther is his, his superhero alter ego name. Now at different, this is where I'm going to spoil it for you, at different points in the movie, both of these characters serve as kings of the nation, the African nation Wakanda, all right? And both of them are are warrior kings, okay? Both of them can go out and they can beat anybody on their own. They don't need the help of the armies or the resources that they have at their disposal. They are warrior kings, okay? Now the similarities between these two characters end right there. All right, Killmonger is someone who uses his ability as a warrior, uses the resources of being the king of this technologically advanced nation to bring destruction and chaos and anarchy. And T'Challa, the true king of Wakanda, uses his warrior abilities and his, and his status as king of this nation to defend his people, to fight on behalf of them, to save them. And that's the type of warrior that we get a picture of in the book of Exodus, let's move just right before it here in the passage um, to verse 2 again. I read this already, and, and uh, we see right here that this is the type of warrior that the Lord is. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Maybe if you are thinking of the type of warrior God that makes you uncomfortable, it would say, this God is my terror, he's my end, he's my destruction. But this warrior God is a type of warrior God that offers defense, strength, salvation to those he fights on behalf of. And because of that, you only need to fear this warrior God when you stand between his people and their salvation. That's the only time you need to fear him. Otherwise, you rejoice in the fact that this God goes out and fights on behalf of his people. That this warrior king goes out and kicks butt on behalf of his people. So remembrance number two that we observe in the passage. God's victory is complete and final. If you know any, if you've met me before, you've probably heard me talk about this experience I had in college. But while I was doing my undergrad at North, North Dakota State University, go Bison, um, we won a national championship. And in my time there, I served on the staff of the, of the football team. I actually wanted to coach football for a time. And so here's a picture of me celebrating after we won a national championship. It's one of the, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. It's, it's the type of thing that few things parallel. And it was so exciting. Here we are, we had just thrown the field as a team. We're up on stage celebrating. The, the trophy ceremony's happening. We were on ESPN, like the whole nation had been watching it. It was, it was truly an amazing experience. But I remember distinctly that after the game was over, we had gone in the sh- into the locker room, everyone had gone and got showered and got ready. We'd hopped on the bus and we were, we were waiting on the bus uh, to go to the airport. And I remember sitting on the bus and I remember thinking, whoa, okay, what now? Oh, wait, we just go back and we do this all over again. When next season starts, we're back in the same place as we were before this season. We're back in the same place as everybody else, Okay. It wasn't a complete victory. It was the kind of victory that doesn't last. It only lasted for a few months, and then everyone's gunning for us. Now, thankfully, NDSU has won multiple national championships since then, so uh, maybe the victory is a little more complete than what I'm, I'm explaining here. But that's the nature of victory today, and I think it's like that with a lot of victories that we win. Even think about it on a really, like, simple level here. Um, so we just bought a house a few years ago, and one of my least favorite parts about homeownership is weeds. Okay? I go outside and I pick a bunch of them up. I spray them and I feel so good about it. And then I go out the next day and they're all back again. And it's like, are you kidding me? Right? Like I feel, I can't feel any satisfaction about picking these weeds because I know they're going to come back tomorrow. And I think that those two experiences are symptomatic of what it's like for us today. We, We actually don't have any real good experience with complete and final victory because there's there's always some sense in which we're going to encounter trouble again or the victory that we won or the thing that we accomplished isn't going to last anymore, okay? That's not the type of victory that we get in this passage when we talk about God. Let's just look at some of these other verses as we move forward here. Exodus 15, four to six. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Have you ever dropped a glass on the floor that was actually made of glass and had it shatter all over and then tried to pick it back up and glue it together again? That's like not happening, right? There's no, there's no way that that's happening. That's the language that's being used here to describe what God has done to his enemy. He shattered them. There's no no putting Humpty Dumpty back together again here, right? uh, uh, 7 through 8. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea, okay? God has so much power. He can make the water of a river stand up like he's nailing a two-by-four up to make a wall, okay? That's what he does to make the water stand up so that he can deliver his people. That's the, that's the language of the passage here. That's, a, that's the language of a, of a God who wins complete victories, Nine through ten, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. Okay? The enemy says, no, no, look at me, look what I can do. I'm going to stand up to this God. This is the puny God of a, of a slave nation. He can't stand up to me. And God, but you blew your breath, blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. God's response to his enemy standing up to them is is to expend as much energy as we do when we sneeze. (laughs) That's the amount of energy that it says God expends and the sea completely covers them, okay? That's his response to them standing up to him, is to expend so little energy to defeat them. That's the kind of God we're talking about here. That's the kind of victory that we're describing here for this God. And in verse, in verse 11, they, they reflect on this in the song. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working, with no, with wonder, working wonders? Nobody compares to this God as a result. Nobody compares to him and what he does. Because of that, come on, clicker, here we go. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them by the power of your arm. They will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Okay, everyone's going to hear about this. All the nations around here are going to hear what this God did to liberate his people. And because of that, at this moment, they will say that the Lord reigns forever and ever. Everyone will know it. Everyone will know it. Remembrance number three, God leads his people to dwell with him. Now remember, the whole point, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the, of the sermon series here, the purpose, going back to Exodus 5, that God said originally was, hey, let my people go. We're going to go out into the wilderness, and they're going to, they're going to have a, a worship for me. They're going to, we're going to be together, and they're going to worship me. That's the whole reason God wanted to bring them out. The point wasn't necessarily at the beginning to decimate an empire. That only happened because the, the Pharaoh tried to stand up to God. The whole reason that God leads them out is so that he can dwell with them. Um, God's presence, God's not going to come dwell with his people when they're in the midst of enemy territory, right? When they're living as slaves in the land of of a king who claims that he's on the same level as God, God's not going to come dwell with his people there, so he wants to bring them out so that he can dwell with them there. The passage says this in verses 13 to 17. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed, In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. You will plant them in, and uh, and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. So as we move forward in the book of Exodus, and we'll find this out as we continue to move through the series. the, the people will go to a place called Mount Sinai, where God's uh, glory will come and rest on the top of the mountain in, a, in kind of a terrifying scene, but also this glorious scene that says, I'm with you now, okay? I'm with you now. And then eventually they will build a, a tabernacle, this traveling tent, which God's glory will, God will make his glory somehow rest in that tabernacle, and, and the Israelites will worship him in that space, and he will actually be with them while he's there. And then if we, we jump all the way ahead to the book of 1 Kings in chapter 8, the King Solomon will build this beautiful temple that God will come and rest in. Finally, he has a house that is supposed to, at least, and when this is what they're thinking at the time, be his final resting place where he will dwell with them powerfully. And you might be wondering, why does God need to dwell with them? Isn't God everywhere, right? Like, God's everywhere, right? I thought, why does he need a special dwelling place with them? Well, um, it's kind of like long-distance dating. Um, Yeah, that made sense, right? Right? Okay, so who's long-distance dated? It's kind of like a common thing. My wife, Julia, and I, we long-distance dated for a few months back when we first started dating. And it sucks. It's really not fun. Right? Those of the, of you that have done it get what I'm saying, because even though uh, you can still call each other, right? we have a lot of technology that helps us to talk a lot. So you can even FaceTime with, um, with uh, your, your loved one who, who's gone, but it's not the same as actually being with them, right? And so uh, for having God come and dwell with his people says something a lot more than just saying, well, you can pray to me whenever you want to, No, it says, I'm with you, I'm here, I love you, I want to be with you, I want everyone else to know that I'm here with you, and I want you to know that because I'm here, I'm going to continue to be your strength and your defense. I'm going to continue to be the thing that keeps you safe. As long as I'm here, nothing bad is going to happen to you. And I love you, I want to show you that with my presence. So we're moving in together. We're getting married, and actually you're moving into my house, okay? That's, That's what God is saying here. And that's why it matters that God wants to be with them, okay? All right, so, keep doing that, come on, go back, there we go. All right, so, um, great, awesome, Joel, but we are not coming out of slavery from Egypt and we're not going to go live in the Middle East where God is going to set up a house to live with us, like, how does this apply to us today? The answer is real simple. The the song here is a pointer forward to Jesus. And if you've been with us for this sermon series, you've seen that we've been doing this the whole time. We've been showing the ways in which this exodus functions as a pointing forward to what God is doing. What what the God of the exodus has been up to since then. Powerfully in, in his son, Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a, a few verses in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and look at what this warrior God who, who wins complete victory and dwells with his people has been up to. And as we do we're going to look at the ways in which these function as remembrance points for us to call us back towards the gospel. To call us to remembrance of what God has done on our behalf. Okay? So remembrance point number one. God is a Jesus is a, hang on here, Jesus is a warrior on his people's behalf. This is our remembrance point number one. This comes from 1 Corinthians fifteen three to 5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, okay? Paul the Apostle is saying to the Corinthians, what I received, I told you, this is the most important thing, so don't forget it that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12 Let's skip to verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So here's what happened, ever since the Exodus, God has been uh, winning battles and continuing to win victory until ultimately he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? The first importance, Paul says, is that we remember that that happened from Christ dying for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised again, okay? So what it's saying here is that God gives us the victory. God is still the warrior through his son, but this time, he won the victory in a new way. He had new weapons this time, weapons of sacrifice, weapons of atonement, weapons of substitution, that he wields on behalf of his people. And this time, instead of nailing the waves up like a two-by-four, like a wall, his hands are the things that are nailed. Okay? This time, instead of shattering his enemies into a million pieces, his body gets shattered. This time, instead of blowing his breath out to defeat his enemy, others use their breath to curse him and insult him. As he's hanging up on that cross on behalf of his people. And in this way, in this way no one would have ever expected, in this way that is completely countercultural, seems like foolishness to everybody else, Jesus wins the ultimate victory and he fights as our warrior on our behalf. Okay? And remembrance point number two, Paul says Jesus' victory, it's complete and it's final. Oop, come on. There we go. A little slower. Got it. First Corinthians fifteen twenty four to twenty seven. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. So Jesus has won this great victory, and just like God had his coming out party where he says, the Lord reigns forever and ever, to all the nations, everyone can hear it, Jesus has been set up as king over the entire world. And he's reigning until he brings everything into submission to him. And eventually, the last thing that's going to be destroyed, the last enemy that he's going to bring into submission to him, is death itself, because everything has been put under his feet. So think of it like like uh, like rebels had taken over a king's uh, king's land and he's fought a battle to take back over control of the territory but now he's just in the process of kind of going out into the rest of the land and and, uh, and bringing into bringing back into loyalty to him all these rebels he's just dispatching these pockets of rebels that have kind of are still causing trouble in his kingdom. He's going out now, even though he's been set up as king, he's going out now and he's taking care of these rebels until finally, finally, he will come back as full king of everything. And he will bring forth a, a resurrection for everybody, for the entire world itself. And that's our, our next remembrance point. Jesus leads his people to dwell with him, just like God led his people out to dwell with him. Now I'm pushing it too good. Okay, okay, hang on. I'm really sorry, you guys. Okay, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So here's what happens on the cross. Jesus dies. But then like Paul said of first importance, he rises again, okay? And what he does when he does that is he makes it possible to lead all those in him to resurrection as well, to lead them out of the slavery of death into this new promised land of resurrection in the kingdom that he's gonna set up someday. And that's our hope that we have to look forward to. And so while God does dwell with us now in the present through his Holy Spirit, he absolutely dwells with us in the same way that he dwelled in the temple, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross points forward to the dwelling, the best dwelling, where God will dwell perfectly with his people forever. Whereas in Revelation it says the, his face will be the sun. He will wipe away our tears. He'll be, the proximity will be so close that he can come up to us and wipe away all of our tears. That's the dwelling that we have that has been accomplished in Christ's victory on the cross that we now look forward to. Okay? And that's our hope as we wait for that victory to to finally be consolidated one day. All right? So, like Israel, we're called to remember this truth. And we're called to reflect on that so that we're changed in the middle of our circumstances, whatever they may be in the present, to remember what that looks like. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? Why would we do that? Um... And and I want to use this analogy of tuning our hearts toward Christ, all right? So um, I played violin up until eighth grade where I got out because I could see the writing on the wall and I knew that it was not going to go well if I continued to try to keep playing in high school. But I did learn a few things about playing the violin, even though like, I was the guy who kind of sat in the back and like, didn't really play because everyone else around me was playing it right and I just looked like I was playing. Um, yeah, I did do that. Um, so... Uh, but I did remember that uh, what you have to always do with your, with your violin is you have to tune it before every concert. You have to tune it right, because if you don't, it's not going to sound right, okay? It's going to sound like you're playing something else, and it's not going to play the way that it's intended to play. It's not going to sound like it's supposed to. And when we tune ourselves by remembering back to the gospel, we play the sweet music of the gospel, Right? We play the way that we've been intended to now that we've been made new in Christ, that we've been set free from sin as we remember, as we tune ourselves in different ways back to the gospel. Um, and um, just, just imagine that Israel doesn't remember this truth. right? Or imagine that Moses gives them this song to sing where they're supposed to remember who their God is and who they are as a result of it, and they forget that, they don't remember that. When they come into, the, uh, come into a situation where they're um, despairing or another nation is coming up against them, they're going to start to fear. They're going to start to, to wonder, maybe, maybe our God is like not out there to get us or maybe we have to fight for ourselves. Maybe, maybe this is actually not going to go too well. Maybe we're going to go back in slavery again. And it's because they're not remembering what has happened in the past. They're not remembering who their God is and what he's done for them. All right? And when we remember back to who God is, we get tuned right so that we can play things the right way, so that in the moment we play the sweet music of the gospel in our circumstances. Okay, and we can live like free people who have hope when we tune ourselves and remember right. Now, we get tuned to all sorts of other things, a lot of, when we, and we don't even realize it, realize it a lot of times. A lot of times we, we tune ourselves by like, just not remembering or sometimes we tune ourselves back to some false gospel by uh, putting up habits or practices that point us towards it. Or maybe we, we are believing a false gospel and you can see that in your habits and practices. Instead of remembering uh, Jesus and what he's done, we're remembering something else. And we're going to be really upset with the gospel, with Jesus, when, because it's, we're not going to understand Christianity. We're going to be playing the wrong music. Or we're not going to sound like we're supposed to. Because our hearts have been tuned to something other than the, the true gospel. So, let's say your heart is tuned to the gospel that life is just about my happiness. Like, that's the most important truth. Like Paul said, the, the cross is a, and the resurrection is of first importance. Maybe you say, no, first importance, my happiness. Okay? I'm tuning myself to that. Which, which uh, you know, if we're honest, is the default religion of many people. That we live, we live near, we live in the midst of, that we know, maybe even ourselves, without realizing it. We, we think that's, that's actually the most important thing. That's the thing i got to remember, okay? Your habits are going to reflect that, okay? Your practices, your remembrances are going to be reflecting that, okay? Life is going to be about making me happy. So everything I do is going to be filtered through that, through that thing because I'm tuned towards that. Um, what I look for in a job, in a spouse, even in my God is going to be tuned back to that gospel that life is about making me happy, that everything is surrounding me for my benefit, to make me feel good, Okay? Your number one concern with your money is going to reflect that. How you spend your money is going to be shown in what gospel you're tuned towards. Right? Your prayers will reflect that. You're going to be praying, God, hey, something really sucks right now. I need you to fix it. That would be really great if you could fix, fix this thing right now. Because don't forget, that's why I'm here. Is, is so I can be happy. Right? And you're going, to, you're going to ultimately find yourself really upset when you read the Bible or when you sit under the preaching of the gospel because that's not what you're tuned towards. Right? You're not playing the music that you, that you realize you're supposed to as you come in line with the real gospel. Now, the church, and here at Hope specifically, we have lots of practices or habits that are here for the benefit of tuning us towards the gospel. Of, and, and, and in some ways, helping us to remember or reflect on what God has done. Okay? An easy one, an obvious one, is, is communion. Communion. We we actually do communion in remembrance of Jesus. That's why we've been given it. So when we take that cup and and, uh, take that bread, we're declaring to ourselves and to everyone else around us that what Jesus did when his body was broken on the cross was sufficient, that it accomplished everything that he said it was going to do. We remember that. We're supposed to be invigorated by that. Um, We have uh, worship here. What we're doing on a Sunday morning, we sing worship songs here. When we're doing that, we're supposed to be reflecting in ways that that change our heart through music um, on on what has happened on the cross and, 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 and letting that shape and invigorate us as we go back out of this place because we've remembered the gospel, right? Scripture reading. Scripture reading points us back to Jesus as we read through that divinely inspired truth that's been given to us so that we can then know what the true gospel is and be immersed in that, to saturate ourselves in that, to stew in that, so that when we go out from that place, we remember and we're changed by that remembrance. Even our small groups that we do here, it's the thing that we always push you towards if you're looking for a way to get connected at Hope. This is of first importance, right, Nettie? Um, Get involved in a small group. Um, We sit in those and we are stewing in that uh, gospel communities. We point each other back towards the gospel in remembrance, okay? Now, I want to highlight one other, one other thing that we do that is supposed to point us back towards God in remembrance towards the gospel, and that's prayer. Um, now, when we have no vision for what we're doing in prayer, it might seem mundane. It might seem... Um, might seem kind of boring or rote. Like, I got to do this thing, um, but I don't really you know, feel like God answers my prayers a lot of times or I don't, I don't like, have a good vision for what I'm doing. But when we are seeing prayer as a way to tune ourselves, among other things, but we're seeing prayer as a way to tune ourselves back in remembrance towards the gospel, prayer can really invigorate us and change us. And I want to give the example of St. Macrina for this. Okay, St. Macrina was a, um, it was a, a, a Christian... Um, uh, foremother for us who lived in the 300s and she is, um, has, she's on her deathbed, okay? So imagine her, she's sitting on her deathbed, uh, the life is slowly coming out of her, everyone around her knows that the end is very near and she knows it's very near and what we have from her is this magnificent prayer that she prays as she sits on her deathbed. All right? And she, it, this prayer shows that she was not going to allow herself be tuned to her circumstances or tuned to some other gospel in the midst of the most fearful circumstance that you can imagine. Death. Right? So she gazes in prayer at the Lord, at, this, at Jesus that we described from 1 Corinthians 15. She gazes at him in prayer. And I just want to read to you some excerpts from the prayer. Now remember, she's sitting on, on her deathbed. I've never uh, faced death but I, I can only imagine what it's like to actually keep your composure and keep your hope in the midst of that. Okay? It sounds terrifying, but she, takes, she is so bold in this prayer that it is really inspiring, I think. So here's what she says. Um, Lord, you have taken the fear of death away from us. The end of our life here, you have made the beginning of true life. For a little while, you will let our bodies rest and sleep, and then with the last trumpet, you will wake them from their sleep. When you shattered the gates of hell and trampled the devil, death's Lord beneath your feet. You cleared your way for our resurrection. So here's Macrina. Here's what she could be doing. She could be sitting here and praying, God, please save me. Please, uh, I'm about to die. Please don't let me die. I don't want to die right now. She could be praying that. And that would not be a bad thing. I don't want you to hear me to say we shouldn't pray for deliverance from our circumstances. We absolutely should. We absolutely should. Okay? But she's also praying um, to remind herself of what the gospel is so that in the midst of her circumstance, the, the, the most fearful circumstance you can imagine, she has peace. She's actually invigorated. Okay? And, and you can see here the traces of 1 Corinthians 15 as she prays. Lord, you've cleared the way for our resurrection. Therefore, you've taken away the fear of death from us. You've made the, the end of my life here is actually the beginning of true life. She goes on to say in this next part, portion, to us who fear you, you gave a sign, the sign of your holy cross. To destroy the enemy and infuse new vigor into our lives. So, as she reflects in prayer on the cross, this thing that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians is of first importance. She's invigorated, it it infuses vigor into her in the midst of these circumstances, all from her reflecting on what's happened on the cross. All right? Um, And I want to exhort you as I close today to pray like Macrina. Right? To pray to remember the God who has set Israel free and has set us free. Who has destroyed the enemy and has given us the, the root of new life. So whatever circumstance you're facing, it may not be as serious as death. Whatever it is, the thing that you're fearing in the moment, tune yourself to the gospel through prayer. Remind yourself of who God is and what he's done so that you can be invigorated like Macrina, all right? So as I close, I have a couple of questions for you that I just want you to reflect on. First of all, what gospel is my heart tuned towards? What remembrances do I go back towards? And how does that affect the way that I live? How does that affect the way that I pray? How does that affect the way that I live out my normal life on a day-to-day basis? What gospel is my heart tuned towards? This is something, just like a violin, right? You have to tune it constantly, okay? You're always tuning your instrument, and the same is true with our hearts. We have to be tuning them on a regular basis, and the second question is a follow-up to that. What habits of remembrance can I do to point me back to the gospel of Jesus? Maybe it's praying more. Maybe it is um, spending more time in scripture, something that you might have thought seemed kind of boring, something I'm going to put on my checklist, something really mundane, Seeing it in light of a way to call us back and tune our hearts to the gospel so that when we go out from that place, we're changed, is the way that I want to exhort you to see that. So as I close today, I just want to pray some more of Macrina's prayer as I invite the worship team back up here. Lord, you have taken the fear of death away from us. The end of our life here, you have made the beginning of true life. For a little while, you let our bodies rest and sleep. And then with the last trumpet, you awake them from their sleep. To free us from sin and from the curse laid upon us, you took both sin and the curse upon yourself. To us who fear you, you gave a sign, the sign of your holy cross, to destroy the enemy and infuse new vigor into our lives. You crushed the head of the dragon that had seized men by the throat and you thrust it into the gulf prepared for the disobedient. When you shattered the gates of hell and trampled the devil, death's Lord, beneath your feet, you cleared the way for our resurrection. God, I pray that Hope Community Church would be a church that is tuned towards that gospel truth in the midst of whatever circumstance they encounter, Lord. That would be the remembrance that they have so that they can be invigorated to go out into whatever you have for them. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.